Finally, college football has returned to Raymond James Stadium. Guys, welcome. We've made it. Woo! College football! I didn't think this was actually going to happen. Man, let me tell you, brother. This is a long time coming. Man, you know, I don't even want to get into the should we, shouldn't we anymore. Unless something drastic happens, I think we just kind of you know, acknowledge and, and move on and, and try to at least focus on the games as they happen. You know, we've already had postponements. That's going to happen. Well, just kind of roll with the punches until, uh, you know, either the season stops or it's over and USF's crowned a national champion because of, you know, it's COVID-2020, man, and anything is possible. You are listening to the Bloom Night Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Bond. Alongside me, Seth Varnador, Robert Stieg, and our wonderful podcast producer, Anthony Vito. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Um, these last, I think I've been working from home for, what, six months now? Six and a half months? Feels like a decade. Really does. March was four and a half months long. I think June was a day. It, it's weird how time has kind of escaped us all, and, and we're here, and you know, football, football is going to happen guys. And to catch everyone up because it was the pandemic and, you know, people may have forgotten Charlie strong, not the head coach, Jeff Scott, the new head coach, Charlie Weiss, junior offense coordinator, Colin Spencer, defense coordinator. It's a whole new ball game now, folks. We're, we're in a new era. Uh, they're, they've dubbed it the new South Florida and we're just going to let it ride. You know, it's, it's going to be a fun experience. I'm excited to see what happens on Saturday and the rest of the season, uh, you know, fully understanding just the absolute weirdness of this year. You know, what, what kind of stood out for you guys as an off season storyline, you know, outside of pandemic related issues, I'll start with Seth. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to find anything outside of the pandemic stuff. Um, I think for the team, probably it's one of the most important things is the, the quarterback competition. And uh, I think kind of, to that uh, important story for the team from different from last year is a big infusion of transfer talent at a bunch of different positions, but two of those at quarterback. So you have a quarterback competition that lasted all through camp was supposed to start in spring, but spring didn't happen. So I think that's been one of the key stories going to the season that will kind of mold how the season happens is that quarterback competition. Steve. Yeah, and, and because we didn't really – not much happened as far as the practices go and media availability has been extremely limited, I've been kind of looking to see what has been happening off the field. And obviously, when you look at what Jeff Scott and his coaching staff has done throughout the entire pandemic when it comes to recruiting, um, making sure that they keep in contact with the kids uh, that they were high-targeted on, and, and they've done a fantastic job at that. Um, and then furthermore, the, the off-the-field social justice issues that – everyone's been kind of looking at and everyone's paying attention to having Jeff Scott have his players lead that from the, from the front with uh, Jordan McLeod doing the cleanup um, over by USF and then KJ leading the unity walk. I think it's just been absolutely fantastic for Jeff Scott to come here. Know that he is the head coach of the football team, but understand that when it, when a football team needs a leader that comes from the players, not from the coach. Absolutely. And you know, you, you touched on that. Oh. You mentioned it comes from the players. We, we mentioned it in our, our mega preview. Um, Seth, you know all too well. You, you mentioned it, at, you know, during that uh, podcast. And last year, you know, prior to the season when we were having these same discussions, it's, it comes from the players. And 
it seems like the players finally have found their voice. It definitely seems like Jordan McLeod has found his voice, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But is there something, you know, miss? Are we missing anything heading into this season? You know, before we kind of jump into this, is there something that you know has been maybe glossed over that you guys want to make sure people know about, or something that's really caught your eye within the the program, within the conference, the NCAA as a whole? I I think one thing that'll be important to keep in mind is I saw a statistic that the last week, the first kind of official week, I suppose, of college football teams with new coordinators were like one and four against the spread. So if that trend continues, you're going to have some struggles with no spring with a new coaching staff. Um, I think there's a lot of positivity going on. Like Steve said, they're recruiting really well. There's doing uh, great things off the field. They're supporting their players. But it could take some time. There could be some bumps early. I think um, that's just something, just forgetting that, hey, spring practice did not happen. And that is a big deal. It's not just like, uh, it's not something minor. It's a really big deal that spring didn't happen. So I think that's maybe been glossed over a little bit, but uh, hopefully they had a good camp and they can kind of get over around those uh, ill effects. Yeah. And, uh, and to that, since there is no, obviously, spring uh, college football camp, uh, there was no spring high school football camp because I've been ankle deep in high school recruiting and, and covering that stuff. A lot of the rankings and a lot of the, the ratings you'll see from this class, just take everything with a grain of salt right now. A lot of these summer camps and spring camps that you normally would get, you know, your, your ratings and your boosts during your junior year or during your sophomore to junior year and uh, junior to senior year, they didn't happen this year. So a lot of these guys that Jeff Scott and company have recruited, there's not much film on them. They're, they're not very, you know, they're not going to get these stars and we're not going to pull these five-star kids that were already um, getting high up there. So take all the recruiting stuff with a grain of salt. Uh, stop asking about the indoor practice facility in the on-campus stadium. That's going to happen when it happens. And let's see what happens in this football season that no one really expected anything big to happen from it. Absolutely. Uh, all good points there. I think Let, let's jump into some, you know, football news. We got football news today. The, the initial depth chart for the Citadel game uh, on Saturday at 7 PM on ESPNU was released today. No surprise. Uh, Bulls 247s of Will Turner reported on Tuesday that uh, plant zone Jordan McLeod will be getting the start versus the Citadel. Uh, it, Jeff Scott has mentioned, you know, it's, not set in stone. He wants to make sure he has a starter by conference play, uh, which is what October 10th against by Cincinnati, October 3rd, excuse me. Uh, October 10th is the first conference home game versus ECU. I believe Uh, he wants to have a a starter in place. So you've got, you've got three games to figure it out. I'm excited for Jordan. I I was, you know, hashtag team Jordan throughout this entire thing, this, this run up. um, And I believe it. I believe that he didn't get a fair shake last year. I think he was hurt pretty early on in the season and just had to battle through it because there were no other scholarship players left. Blake Barnett got hurt uh, coming in in relief of Jordan McLeod, who I believe also got hurt in the SMU game and broke his ankle and never played another down. So it was between Jordan McLeod and Kirk Reigel, who was a walk-on. And, you know, there's a, sometimes there's a reason why you're a walk-on. And we've, we've definitely discussed that plenty of times. But in Jordan's first start, 
you know, against South Carolina State, understandably, it was an FCS opponent. He kind of lit it up. I believe he was 16 to 27, 261 yards, threw three touchdowns, rushed for another two. And then against arguably maybe the best defense that they faced all year, played really well against Cincinnati. I believe he threw uh, for uh, a score. I think he had 250 yards, uh, kept USF in the game. USF had a field goal kicker, and we'll get to that. They won that game. And it's, you know, leading up to the BYU game, he couldn't grip the ball. He's healthy. He's put on about 15 pounds of muscle, I think, with another year of – leadership skills i mentioned at the top that he's found his voice there were you know some scuttlebutt last year that you know jordan was kind of he was too quiet in the huddle you know players weren't listening to him it seems like he has found the voice and that's that helps separate him um you know jeff scott said today uh during his you know final press conference before the the season opener uh, you know you sometimes you bring in two transfers like they did in Cade Fortin and Noah Johnson and the incumbent kind of sinks back and, you know, gives up and quits and pouts, but that's not what Jordan did. He went out and won the job for, for now. And going to be exciting to see what happens versus Citadel. Seth, were there any other positions? Maybe if you want to, you know, briefly touch on the choice of uh, Jordan McLeod as the starter and then kind of, Give me another position or another person that you were kind of surprised that that uh, you know either landed on the two deep or is uh, now a starter for the Bulls. Yeah, with regards to quarterbacks and uh, and McLeod last year, it's it's a really especially when you're young, it's a really hard thing to go into a season where you're you're pretty sure you're not going to be the starter, and if health, you know, for most part, you don't think you're going to play, and then being thrust into playing. I don't think he anticipated he's going to be playing much last year. So his preparation may not have been as sharp and focused as it has been this offseason. So that would be another uh, feather in your cap of uh, thinking he's going to play better this year. And I think he probably has prepared. And that's part of the leadership thing, too. When you are young and you don't know that you're going to play and you kind of get thrust into it, you're not ready for it yet. And it's not common to be ready to play when your number's called if you're not starting. That's why you see the same guys as backup quarterbacks in the NFL for so long because they understand that, okay, i got to prepare like the starter, and if I get into play, I can be competent. It's a tough skill to learn, but he seems to have some um, forward momentum through this offseason going into the season, so that's good. Um, the other thing I thought was kind of interesting is uh, there were two that just were um, – kind of stuck out to me at first. The first one was, and this isn't as big of a sticking point, but just interesting was Jacob Mathis. I thought he played pretty well towards him last year. He's second string, but also with like an or designation, right? So he's not even second string outright. And then Johnny Ford being third string at tailback, I thought was uh, was interesting because he was uh, one of your most dynamic players last few seasons, but you got a couple uh, really dynamic guys in front of him now too. So, uh, that was interesting to see him there, but they, he does have some pretty good guys in front of him, so that's kind of a a good thing, really. Steve, uh, you know, going off that, uh, any thoughts on the quarterback position, and then any uh, you know surprises or anything that kind of popped uh, to your attention there? Yeah, um, I think quarterback wise, I think that was kind of what we were all kind of expecting. Um, Jordan took a really big step forward as far as his leadership role um, throughout the entire offseason once the season ended last year. 
Um, you can kind of see and hear about the stories of, you know, his offseason workout and everything that he was doing. So no surprise that he was going to get the first nod, especially with a, with a spring that just didn't happen. You know, if that spring football game happened and we could see, you know, the whole gambit of the quarterbacks play and they get, you know, live practicing and everything like that may have been different, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with um, Jordan. I, I hope he does well. I, he's got a great story with him too. So I, I hope he's super successful and I hope he stays healthy the, the entire season because that was painful at times to, uh, to see him after the games and, and as much pain as he was. I'll, I'll flip to the defensive side since Seth kind of took that offensive. One big thing that popped out to me was uh, Darren Gray getting that start uh, at edge or at the end of that position. He um, obviously, you know, played a few games last year. I, I didn't hear his name get called too much uh, being on the sideline. I didn't, you know, see much of him play, but good for him to, to crack that starting lineup. And then aside from that, uh, this linebacker core, notice we had two uh, converted um, players to those linebacker positions. First one being Mac Harris was recruited as a safety. Uh, now he's down at weak side linebacker and then turn right around. You have Brian Norris was a running back for us. Uh, now he's back in the linebacker. So obviously there might be some depth issues there. Um, Glenn Spencer's runs that kind of 30 flow defense. So in that depth chart, you see kind of weird names uh, for a few positions, Leo knows, um, and that star. I'm really excited to see Vincent Davis in that star position. I think he would absolutely excel just hitting the shit out of dudes. Right. And I, I think, I don't want to assume uh, too much, you know, without seeing this defense in action, but I want to say that uh, that star position is probably going to be closer to maybe the Jimmy bird of, you know, 2015 featured Nichols when he, when, you know, slid into the, that slot corner position, just kind of cause havoc, be a sure tackler and lay some lumber, uh, you know, yeah. off the edge. It's a, it's a nickel corner, I think. So that guy that's, like you said, covering up the slot a lot of times, but he has to be able to play. It's uh, I've heard other coaches say it's like a unicorn. You have to. It's a tough spot to find. You've got to find a guy that can cover people with just going to find a guy that can be physical. So Yeah, because you look at the rest of the guys. You have Brock Nichols, who's just stud special teams players all over the field. And then you have Kayon, Hem- or Kayon Helton, converted linebacker, super athletic coming out of high school. So you're looking at a position that you're going to – probably see them absolutely declete some kids every once in a while. And if you guys remember the, the hit that uh, smoke Davis had in uh, 2018 versus UMass, you'll understand why he is a starter. Now uh, he's just kind of progressed uh, from that spot. You know, I'm surprised I'll, I'll take a spot here. I'm surprised Steve didn't pick this one, but Spencer Schrader beating <laughs> out Jared Sackett for the starting kicker position uh, it's kind of shocking, you know. Sackett came from Arkansas. Uh, well, he was with uh, Coach DePrado for a year, and that was, you know, one of the main factors of him coming to USF. You know, two-time Luke Rosa semifinalist. He was on the Luke Rosa watch list again this year, and you know, seeing Spencer Schrader take that job is, you know. Awesome. It seems like we have two good kickers because Jeff Scott said today he didn't really decide until yesterday who the kicker was going to be. And, you know, again, it's, it's one of these fluid situations. You know, you miss a, a PAT and that maybe, a, you know, a field goal that you should probably make. And uh, it's, you know, it's anyone's uh, position to, to have. Um, I believe it's been uh, over two years since USF has made a field goal longer than 40 yards. Um, so it'll it's going to be interesting to see uh well, how Jeff Scott and DePrado kind of handle that? Are, are, do they 
you know, since it's year one, you know, be a little bit more aggressive when you get down there, you know, regardless of down and distance, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle those kind of decisions, you know, especially with Scott's, you know, first year calling, calling that shot. Uh, that's, that's going to be fun for me. And, uh, you know, I, I do want to shout out um, Devontrez Odom's Dukes. Uh, he got a starting, he got a starting wide receiver job as well as Michael Wiggs. They're both, connected in in basically the same way they're part of that that final willie tagger 2016 recruiting class up until what this year really mike hampton was the only guy from that class that produced and is still with the team so seeing both of them crack the starting lineup michael wiggs will be your starting right guard and seeing the the praise heaped on those two guys from Jeff Scott from other teammates is really impressive given the, the up and down nature of their career. As you guys may recall, Michael Wiggs was the starting center in 2017 for the first two games and they got benched and never really saw the field after that. And that's, it's going to be interesting to see how, how they progress, you know, their senior year, their final shot. Um, Jeff Scott mentioned this today, uh, first day of fall camp. They asked the offensive players and the defensive players to write down who the, you know, the, the leader of each unit were. And, and Trey Dukes was the number one guy on offense. So that's kind of what you're getting from him. Um, and then, you know, he's a co-starter with, along with uh, Latrell Williams, who's just a speed guy. And uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, other than that, I didn't really see too, too many, you know, crazy – crazy things honestly with the depth chart you know i think brock nichols is listed as a, a backup there there's really nothing you know Noah johnson and and kate Fortin are their co-backups but noah's ahead of Cade, and i think that's i think that's an important distinction because they, they can't really claim alphabetical order because uh, the last time i checked j is after f and uh you know from all accounts noah had a fantastic fall camp as well and then, uh, you know, Kelly Joyner, he, I think he's going to be an absolute stud, and there's a reason why he's the starter. Um, I, I think the other, another interesting note on the depth chart is how many freshmen are in the 2D and how many are from this recruiting class. I thought that was uh, – I think even – I think there might have been – is there two or three freshmen up front that are on the 2D on offensive line? Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, we talked about last week if, you know – Obviously, you want to try to win every game or previously. You, you want to try to win every game, but if you can get guys experience, that's a win too in its own right. Yeah. Uh, so going from right tackle to left tackle, uh, Chamberlain graduate Cesar Reyes is the backup right tackle. He's a true freshman. Uh, Uriah Green from uh, North Carolina, true freshman, is the backup right guard. Dustin Hall is a redshirt freshman at center. Josh Blanchard is a redshirt freshman at left tackle. Um, so a lot of youth. <laughs> we don't see uh, Trey Jacobs. On the two deep, I think he got in a little bit late, and I'm not even sure if he's going to be eligible. I don't think he got his waiver yet. I don't think he's no. going to get his waiver either. Yeah, I know. I think it was Miami got uh, declined. I think today on an offensive lineman, I believe, or defensive lineman. So, you know, I, you know, the NCAA furloughed basically their entire Indianapolis office. So I think it may be, uh, it could be a while until. You know, all of the waivers kind of sort themselves out throughout the nation of the what 77 teams that are playing. So there's a lot of youth. Um, hopefully the youth can gain experience, but not actually play because the offensive line is finally gelled. And, you know, the right side is uh, 
taking a step up, you know, Jared Hopples, he's, he's got a lot of pressure on him to, you know, solidify that right tackle position. Uh, yeah, he's a vaunted, you know, transfer from uh, what Vatek. He's also a very large man. He's six seven three twenty. I didn't realize he was six seven. He's noticeably taller than everyone else on the team. And Donovan Jennings is listed at six five three thirty eight. Man, if he's three thirty eight, he carries it well. <laughs> on the legs. Mike, yeah, he does not look three thirty eight. So good for him. Way to way to carry the weight, brother. Waiting for our large adult son, Sebastian Sanderling, at 6'2", 365 to uh, get some snaps. He's uh, I mean, a running back. Or <laughs> the or back up behind Demetrius Harris, but it'd be great to see him get, in, get some run. Demetrius Harris is 337. Where did they put all this weight? I'm, and you know what? I'm not even going to ask. That's, you know, that's a question for another day. They're still a little undersized at defensive line. We're going to figure it out. No, your nose tackles 280 pounds, but Blake Green's my guy. He's my guy that to be the breakout player. Uh, he's ahead of Kevin Kegler and Kelvin Pinckney, who both have starting experience over the last couple of years. So, uh, you know, th- I think that's going to be a battle. And then uh, Rashawn Yates, who shown some, shown some, uh, you know, flashes of, of you know good play. I think he's going to be. I think he'll be all right. And then Thad Mangum, the the transfer from Walford, as well, kind of cycling in. And, Richard Freshman Jason Fawn got some run late last or excuse me, he's a sophomore because he played in too many games. Sophomore Jason Fawn, he, he got some run late in the year and, and showed some improvement. So good to see him. Um Brian Thaxon kind of being buried at that Leo position was a, a little surprising. But I mean, all in all, we'll we'll figure it out eventually. Um I know I know there was a a, a graphic sent in the uh the Slack channel today about the average recruiting rank of the USF skill position players and, you know, what Charlie inherited and what he left. And it's, there's a big discrepancy. I believe that the number of the recruiting rank for the returners uh, for the skill position players, like uh, 0.812. And then just the, the precipitous drop off of talent from what Charlie got to what he left is uh, interesting as well. Such is life. We move on. Right, fellas? Oh, yes. Yeah, just to that point, since 2016, the USF team talent rank has gone from 54th to 69th. Nice. Uh, which, not to dig the knife any further, but there's another school in the state of Florida in the same conference that went from 69th to 54th. So they basically switched spots since 2016. Look at that. Not nice. Not nice at all. I brought it. I brought the whole thing down. So, let go plow now. All right, it's game week. Let's turn to our opponent, the Citadel Bulldogs. They go by the Dogs, if uh, which I think is fantastic. They have a bulldog with like a sailor hat as their logo. Yeah, he's a very angry puppy. <laughs> Probably still a very good boy though. So, just you know, real quick on, on the Citadel, you know, high level. They went six and six last year. They beat Georgia Tech in overtime. Uh, their head coach is Brent Thompson, uh, sixth season with the Dogs, uh, 26 and 21 throughout his tenure at uh, the Citadel. What I found, I was kind of reading through their game notes and just kind of looking, and they they have, uh, I believe, eight FBS wins. Yeah. So since 1988, they've beaten eight FBS teams, uh, Navy twice, Army twice, South Carolina twice, 
Arkansas once, and then Georgia Tech last year. None of those wins have been more by more than a touchdown, which is interesting. The last time they opened up against the FBS team was in 2009 uh, versus North Carolina. They lost 40 to six. And, you know, that's, that's kind of what you're, you expect uh, from, from a, a service Academy. That's not, you know, Navy air force or, or, or army. It's a little bit less than lower than, but I, I, I wouldn't sleep on them uh, because man, that triple option can, can kill you real quick. Some important players, to kind of watch out for uh, linebacker uh, Willie uh, Eubanks is a, just a, a freaking stud. Um, I think that's probably the only way to describe him. He had uh, 112 tackles last year, 11 and a half for loss, four sacks, a pick, 11 QB hits, forced three fumbles. Um, that, preseason, preseason All American. Preseason All American. He's 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 the guy you're, you're going to want to stop. Uh, defensively, um, that's that's probably the guy that's going to cause the most havoc uh, for you uh, as a you know brand new USF offense, and we'll, we'll get into the the schematic stuff in a minute. But he he's really good, and uh, you know on the offensive side, they've lost a, a few talented guys. I know they had um, the guy that's going to be their top running back was a transfer from VMI, I believe. He was a preseason All-American. He has decided to opt out of the season, so he's not playing. Um, they lost another rusher from last season, but they do return, I think, four of their top five rushers and receivers. Yeah. Now, since they play the triple option, it's a lot of the same guys for both, but um, they do return quite a bit on offense. Yeah, so uh, All-America running back Alex Ramsey, I think he put up like 1,200 yards of PMI transferred in, decided to opt out due to COVID-19, as well as starting uh, slot back Dante Smith, who also opted out. Uh, so it kind of leaves uh, Brandon Rainey, who was the quarterback, as their you know leading returning rusher. And from a team that I think finished fifth in the nation in yards per game on the ground with uh, over 261, Rainey had a 900. He had 17 touchdowns. He, he broke the Citadel record for uh, – total touchdowns accounted for in a season with 30 he, he's going to be he's going to be a problem he only averages uh he only averages 3.8 yards of carry but that's i mean death by a thousand paper cuts with the triple option and uh there's a, a fun fact from the the uh game notes the citadel last year had 31 rushing touchdowns only two were for longer than 10 yards so 29, they just, they just 20, beat you down. <laughs> yeah, twenty nine of the thirty one rushing touchdowns were for you know less than ten yards. The the longest touchdown run being thirty one yards from uh, Brandon Rainey. The other one being an eleven yarder. So, That's both against Georgia Tech. Oh man, I don't know. I know that I think I'm pretty sure the thirty one yarder was. Well, there was another one that was close to the eleven yarder, which is interesting. Yeah, and then you know in the in the passing game. You know, Brian Rainey, I mean, is a tri- t- one of your typical, you know, triple option quarterbacks, 50% completion rating, 13 touchdowns, didn't throw many picks. He threw four, he threw four interceptions and 122 pass attempts. Uh, and his main target was Riley Webb. He had 30 catches, 617 yards, 10 touchdowns. He had, you know, 10 of the, the 15 or 14 uh, passing touchdowns from from the team. Um, and so he, he's the, he is – 
the guy to lock on. But again, it's just going to be very interesting to to battle this uh, this team as your first game as a head coach. I know Jeff Scott had mentioned that the triple option that the Citadel run is more like the triple option that Georgia Tech ranked instead of Navy, but it's still kind of the triple option with the concepts and uh, you know same basic design and I, I kind of want to lead into that with uh, Seth's story. Seth, you did a, a fantastic job kind of breaking down the triple option. What o- offensively for the Citadel, what are some of the things that they do well? What are, what's some of their bread and butter type plays that USF uh, needs to be able to key on? Well, I mean, uh, one, one, it's going to sound really simple, but they're really good at the triple option it sounds very simple but if you watch navy for instance this last past monday night when they got waxed by byu the quarterback was actually not an option quarterback in high school he was a spread quarterback and they tried to put him out there and he was not like it did not appear he was a natural option quarterback the guys that are playing at citadel randy i believe his name's right he's a natural option quarterback They'll run the inside veer where they're reading the they're reading the end for the dive and they pull in their pitch off the next guy. There'll be times where it looks like he should give it, but he can see out of peripheral or something that like the defensive tackle has gotten into the hole somehow, beating the block, and he'll pull it and pitch it. So there's some stuff they do, they're just really good at. They've been doing this for a long time, and these guys have probably played in high school too. So they're just really good at the basics of the triple option. So they like inside veer. They'll do some ISO from the quarterback ISO to the wingback ISO. They'll run rocket toss, which is where you send the guy in motion and you try to basically snap the ball when he's outside of tackle and toss it to him way outside and get a big head start with the motion. They'll run some counter option. They'll run motion with their inside veer. So they, they do a lot of stuff to mix it up, and then they mix in some pat play action. And with that, they like to have the receivers coincide and crack block. So they go in, instead of blocking the corner, the receiver will go inside to block safeties or linebackers. So when you couple that with play action, the safeties and linebackers think the receiver's coming to crack them. They try to get out of his way, and then he just runs by and goes in the opposite direction. So it's well sequenced. It is more like it is more like Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech did some of the uh, counter option and freeze option stuff, and. Um, yeah, they, they, I mean, it's not too dissimilar to what Navy does, but they do a, they do a little bit differently, and they're really good at it. So it's going to be – my only concern is I don't know – going back and looking, Glenn Spencer was at FAU, Charlotte, Oklahoma State. Uh, I look back through those years, and that's since like 2011. I don't think they – I don't think he's ever played a triple option team as a coordinator. So I thought that was interesting. I think he may have as a head coach. He's at West Georgia, and they're, they're D2, so you may have seen it there. But I don't think he's ever played it as a defensive coordinator. So it's at least been a long time since he's played against it. So I'll be interested to see how he plays it. Um, should be an interesting chess match. Yeah, it, and Seth, you know, we, we've kind of mentioned that they were similar to Georgia Tech style. And I think the very first uh, play sequence that you show in that video for their offense is uh, – one of, I think it's a lineman does one of those arc blocks, right? And uh, if you guys recall from 2018, Georgia Tech hammered USF with these arc blocks, but they would bring, you know, the, the slot back or, I, I, or B back, I believe, and just kind of bring them around and just crack into, you know, the linebacker, the, the 
whoever, you know, was closest to the line. And, it, you know, it really sprung Georgia Tech's offense and, and really helped them kind of, you know, take the lead and then kind of, you know, get back into the game until, you know, USF forced a fumble. But it was one of those things that USF just didn't quite figure out how to defend. How do you, how do you defend, you know, those arc blocks where you're, you're, you're swinging around, you, you don't know if, what they, they may do and you just get, you know, free reign on maybe a corner or, you know, a, 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 an unsuspecting safety that's, you know, all right, I'm in position. And then you just get popped in the, in the face, the face. Well, you, you kind of, you have to have rules and you have to consistently follow the rules because if you have guys, if you have rules and I'm the dive guy, I'm the, you know, I'm the dive guy, I'm the pitch guy, I'm the quarterback guy. If you have a guy, so what happened a couple of the times in the, in the clips you're referencing, a tight uh, the tackle would arc, so he would release outside of the end to who they could be blocking and just basically leave him and try to go for the linebacker. So he's going to go outside the tackle before the linebacker at the next level. Georgia Tech had their end staying with the arc. So what's that do? It opens up the dive because he's the guy they're reading for dive. So if you if he's the dive guy on defense, if that's what they have him listed at, and he goes with the arc block, well, now you just let the dive go open. So you just got to basically, whatever your job is, you have to do it. You have to do it consistently, and your safeties are going to have to come down. Um, if they got pitch guy, they're going to have to come down and make tackles in space and come downhill. They can't kind of wait around. So you're going to have to add your defensive backs to make tackles. Uh, you can try to do movement and different stuff like that to try to – and Georgia Tech did a little bit last year. They moved a little bit and messed up some of the stuff. But like I said – there are times where the quarterback probably should have – the read was given, but he could feel somebody was in the gap because Georgia Tech moved and he pulled and pitched it. So you just got to stay uh, – do your job every play. And it's tough for college kids to just consistently do one thing and not get bored. Agreed. And, you know, on the flip side defensively, uh, you, you mentioned in your story they are very aggressive – was it Tony Tony Granham, uh, who is Todd's? Yeah, Todd Grantham's brother. So, and Todd right. Grantham's known as a super aggressive guy. There's the term third and Grantham because there'll be times where it's like third and ten, and he'll just bring the house because he's so aggressive. Sometimes it works, and other times you you get beat one on one. Now you're giving up third and longs. Like the Georgia, if you watch Florida play Georgia last year, I think they gave up a ton of third downs. So it was that third, the third and Grantham started coming back up. But these guys are going to be aggressive regardless of the situation, which is kind of the key when looking at those two. Right. And, and to combat that, you mentioned, you know, the RPO is going to be vital for Charlie Weiss Jr. to, you know, maybe offset some of, some of the, the aggressiveness. What are some of the keys for the USF offense that you want to see them either hit on early or be able to do it a little, maybe consistently throughout the game to uh, curtail that? I think the, the, with, uh, speaking to the RPO stuff, it was it was a big part of Weiss's offense at uh, the game the games I watched at him at FAU. He did, it. and what it can do for you is if they're blitzing, right? So what the quarterback's doing on the RPO is he's making a decision where they're going to run the ball or we're going to throw the ball. So the offensive line is running a run play. As far as they know, you're running the ball. The running back is running the run play. As far as they know, you're running the ball. The receivers are going to run a pass play. As far as they know, you're passing the ball. If the, defense, if the defense shows that they're coming up to stop the run, so if there was a blitz, as a quarterback, I'd say, okay, this is a run. They're, they're coming up to stop the run because they're blitzing. And it makes it apparent to me. I don't have to wait and see if the guy's taking a step back or if he's sitting in place. If he's coming right now, I can pull the ball and throw it. 
into what should be a hole where that guy vacates. So if the quarterbacks are able to do that and make the good read and deliver a accurate ball, they'll have guys in space or at worst one-on-one. So if you can do that, you can alleviate a lot of pressure. And then, um, you know, I'd like to see them, you know, you'd like to see them be able to run the, run the ball against what you think, imagine would be an undersized defensive front. Um, Georgia Tech had some success running the ball against them last year. I'd like to see some explosive runs would be nice to see from the USF offense. Some explosive plays, really. After last mm-hmm. year, where there was a lack of explosiveness, let's right. see some explosive. I would want to see somebody. On a, a great a great sign would be RPO. McLeod pulls it, hits a guy on a slant, and he houses it. He splits defenders and goes. That's a that would be a great thing to see in the first week. Just some explosiveness because you're going to need it. Right, and you know, uh, looking at the what the Citadel gave up uh, per play last year, they they gave up about. 6.1 yards per play last year, 7.9 in the passing game, and really 4.8 at running running the ball. Uh, so being able to you know hit on some of these some of these you know big plays, the quick hitters, you know, just to combat that aggressiveness, I think it's going to be key here uh, as as we get further. I just want to pull up what uh, USF averaged you know per play uh, passing. So they were they were at 5.1 last year. Their their average uh, per pl- per pass were was six point two and then four point four running the ball. You know that is well below what USF had been able to do, basically from twenty fifteen to twenty nine twenty eighteen. I think it's the first year since 20, 2014 that the Bulls rushed for less than two thousand yards as a team, and uh, you, you saw what happened. You know that this team can't run the ball well. It, it's it's going to be an issue when you I feel like you have three competent enough backs to be able to do some things. I really loved that, that formation a couple of weeks ago, I think it was a central Arkansas game, you know, the quarterback kind of in the pistol and then you, you've got like the triple option kind of look to it. I was a fan of that. If, if there's something like that where you can get, you know, all three of those guys on the field, put, you know, Jaquez Evans in the Wildcat and run something like that. Just get your fast guys in space. Uh, that'd be, you know, really interesting and a nice wrinkle to have on the offense. And uh, I mean, Charlie West Jr. is a, a offensive savant. So I, I'm sure he's thought of that. Plus, you know, 15 other things that I could never think of in my entire life. Uh, if I just spent the rest of my life trying to think, think of cool formations to use my speed guys. Um, so it, it's going to be a lot of fun just to watch and, you know, kind of moving slowly moving toward the, the end of this year podcast is we, we've, I think we've hopefully properly set the, the right expectation here, right? It's, you know, USF should win this game and it, it could be ugly but they should win the game. I, they still have more talent than the Citadel. It's when USF doesn't click that Citadel, you know, shortens the game, you know, has, you know, 40 minutes of time possession, something like that, where USF just the offense just doesn't click. You get multiple three and outs and then the defense is back on the field and it kind of snowballs. But You've, you've got to set the right expectation going into the year that this is a complete rebuild here, folks. We're two, maybe two, three years away from being competitive for a conference championship. And that is 
fine because there's the right leadership in place with Michael Kelly, Jeff Scott. What, you know, I'll open this to the four. What's the one thing you got, one or two things that you want to see game one that can help improve, you know, game two, game three to all the way to, you know, Black Friday? I'll start with uh, Steve here. Um, I, I think having going into the offensive lines, I think that's where everyone's kind of where we've been at least kind of looking at it's the biggest kind of proponent of if this unit can be more successful, successful this year than last year, USF will still be able to find a way. There's no lack of speed by our wide receivers and running backs. I've talked about it many, many times, but there are very good track athletes that we have that can get the ball in space and score. It's just, can the offensive line give them enough, give the quarterbacks enough time to get the balls into their hands and can they get the lanes open for the running backs to squeak through because, you know, those running backs we have aren't very big. So they're going to have to go through past people rather than, you know, through them body wise and break tackles. So I think watching and, and making sure like our, our offensive line can, it can improve is, is going to be the biggest thing into game one. You know, we're much statistically and, and talent wise, we're much better than the Citadel. But can a first-year head coach who didn't get the spring ball to prepare and a brand-new offense coordinators with a team that has a bunch of transfers on it, can all of those people mesh together in a couple of weeks to put a coherent unit together? I hope so. I hope we could just get lucky and just get better week over week. But it's not the most ideal circumstances to start off. And then defensively, you're, I mean, you might as well start from the, from the ground up because you're going in a completely different defensive system now. Um, you know, you're, you're losing some guys as well, but this is a new system for all of them. So it's now learning the new language, learning the new, um, kind of cadence that Glenn Spencer has. Can that unit get some cohesiveness as well? So that's kind of what I'm looking at. I'm looking at for like week over week improvement and and good coaching fundamentals, not giving away stupid penalties, you know, staying home, staying sound and, and, and that whole kind of measure. Seth, what about yourself? I think one, I think one really interesting aspect will be, I agree. They are more. They are much more talented than Citadel. It's not like Citadel is some juggernaut. It's not like they're the App State team that went up to Michigan and won. This was a team that uh, was six and six, five hundred. They played a lot of tight games, but that's kind of by design. Uh, they want to try to keep the ball, and then the defense steals a couple of possessions with an aggressive turnover. And then, then you're in a tight game. But um, what I'm really interested in to see is I, I think they'll win this week. They should. Um, I'm interested to see what changes get made from week one to week two, because uh, it's it's true, and Navy found this out the hard way. You really don't know what you have until you play a game. You have an idea. Sometimes you think you're not that great. Sometimes you think you're good, and then once you play a game, you're like, okay, this is what we are. You you kind of know. And they didn't have a spring game, so this first game is going to be vitally important to show them. All right, this guy's a player. You know, okay, this guy when the lights come on, he's not quite ready. Uh, I, so I'll, I'll be interested to see what changes happen from week one to week two, uh, because this will really be their first time to see them in a game-like environment, and it's going to actually going to be a game instead of a spring game. So that'll be something I'll be on the lookout for. See kind of what, what changes get made to the depth chart or other spots um, between week one and week two. 
Yeah, uh, and you know, Seth, you you kind of stole my thunder here on, on that one. Uh, so uh, you know what I'm gonna I'm going to you know kind of pivot here and and go with the with the quarter. I mean, it's the quarterback position, right? Um, I want to see you know what what that line of demarcation is for you know pulling Jordan for Noah. Is it you know if if everything goes well, is it okay? Well, the game's out of hand. Let's get Noah in or, you know, are we two or three series in and, you know, the offense is clicking. We're still in the first quarter perhaps. And all right, let's get Noah in and see what happens. I, I want to see how they balance the, you know, the lack of efficiency or the efficiency of Jordan through this first game and then see how that flips with practice. And then the Notre Dame game uh, next week as well. Just as I, I want to be able to see that. Is there a consistent pattern or is it, we're just kind of we're winging it, we're winging it right now until we figure something out. Yeah, I wonder if the lack of practice time actually hurts Kate Ford more than anybody because he kind of has a different skill set than the other two. So if you're looking to build your offense with limited practice time, you'll probably build it around the one where you have more more guys that uh, so you put around those guys that are more of the dual threat can do a little bit of both. So I wonder if that's gonna if that's gonna hurt him just. Or, or it's kind of everybody's going to run the same thing. Or, you know, that'll be um, an interesting thing to see how much time he gets, if any, and how much time, like you said, any, any of the uh, quarterbacks get. What's the, what's the breakdown? Is McLeod going until the wheels come off? Or, or we got series mapped out, quarters? What's the deal? So that'll be, a, that'll be I think, a really uh, probably the number one thing to watch for in week one. Right. And Vito, you've been a little quiet. I want to I wanna get you in here. What, you know, I, I think – you may have a more of a fans perspective here. You, you would, you would have been in the stands for this game with, with your friends. What are you hearing from, you know, your, your season ticket group friends that they want to see what you want to see from, from this team at, you know, week one going into week two, or just in this game in general? Uh, well, yeah, we're, we're actually, you know, you, you look go into this and go, huh, well, season ticket holders, they're doing a whole different thing with single game tickets. But a lot of my friends bought into what, but the change of possibly with Kerwin Bell was last year. So when it all didn't work out the way they expected, they're kind of taking this with as a step-by-step approach, but it's very much, it's a brand new staff. They also believe the same things we do, that this could be, this is the right guy that Michael Kelly's the right guy, bringing the right guy with Jeff Scott. And they're just kind of looking for the same things we are. Do we see any progression? Do we see the guys having fun? Is it as a fun product to watch? And unfortunately, the one thing that I, I keep thinking on is, let's say you start going through the season and you start racking up those losses and maybe they're frustrating. Do the, do, do the players start stop the buy-in? All of a sudden, do the fans and the players stop the buy-in? And what happens at that point? How does can the coaching staff reel back in everybody? Because you, you get the excitement early on. And then if you, for whatever reason, start having some disappointment or you're not seeing what you want to see or it becomes a not fun project to watch, how, how is everybody going to respond in a situation where you're not going out to see the games? There's not a tailgating situation. You're all watching from home. So how, how can that happen? For the, for the most part, everyone's just kind of taking this year as a let's see what we have and let's see what the staff can do. But I think I think a lot of folks uh, might start losing interest if uh, it the, the product isn't as fun as it right. was. And, you know, I, I'm glad you brought that up because this is kind of what I want to end on. You mentioned you know, they start racking up these losses in year one. 
does do the fans turn? Do the players start, you know, stop to give up? And I think that this is where the culture comes in. This is the Brian Gregory year one model right here, right? USF was just awful, 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 awful for basically from November, basically up into, up until, you know, middle of February, uh, Brian Gregory's first season, because it was just a cast of misfit toys trying to figure this out. But within that, that last month of that season, you saw there, there was something there, right? They, they figured it, they you know slowly started to figure it out. They kept competing that last month of the season, you know, kept getting a little bit closer to what we're seeing now with Brian Gregory's team is, you know, this is going to be an NCAA tournament team, you know, aside from the fact that the ACC wants everyone to be an NCAA tournament team, but this is, this has all the makings to be an NCAA tournament team. And it was what, three, four years in the making. That's what you need to have the buy-in ground level. It's, you know, the seniors are only going to be here for a year. Maybe you need the freshmen, the sophomore, the guys are going to be here to really buy in. And I think that's, that's what Jeff Scott's going to have to battle with. Um, You know, I don't, I don't mind saying this now, uh, former staffers, um, you know, they, they would, they would text me, they would, you know, hit me up on, you know, that Twitter and be like, man, I have never seen a group so down on themselves for so long. And this was spring ball to the end of the season. They just never built the confidence. They, they, they season just didn't have a chance out of the gate. Just the, the lack of confidence that this team had, you know, Coming off, coming off of five straight loss, six straight losses in 2018, going to 2019 with a band-aid, as, as Seth mentioned in our, our preview podcast, is all right, yeah, you got a new offensive coordinator, but you didn't let him bring in his entire staff. You got a band-aid. And it just never progressed. And there were shortcomings from that staff as well, absolutely. But it was that kind of thing. You need to be able to build this culture. And it starts, it starts, it started, you know, December 10th when he was hired. I I'm, if I'm right on that date, remember that. I don't, I don't remember, but I'm almost positive it was like December 10th, or he was introduced like December 10th or 11th, and then he was he signed on the 9th. But I'm pretty close. If I'm plus or minus a day, I need a cookie or something. Um, but it, I think it's you, you're going to see it. I will mention there was a conversation I was having a couple days ago about if you were going into this year and Charlie Strong was still the coach, same situation versus now. How, how would you feel going into the season? And mostly everyone I've talked to said, oh, they feel a million times better about the state mm-hmm. of the program. And, uh, I, and I think if people get a little frustrated with this year, this year is such a strange year anyway. If Jeff Scott can build it just like Brian Gregory has. And I mean, I went with my season ticket buddies to a basketball game and they've never been to a men's basketball game since we've been in college. And they loved it. It was a good product. It was a fun product. So I mean, if you can get that kind of buy-in and then people to come back, which, I mean, I, I think we all firmly believe we're in the right seat. So regardless what happens on Saturday, regardless what happens this season, we, we believe we're in the right direction. And I think that's the, the best part, to, the best way to kind of gauge your expectations. Just win one. Just give me one. Give me one. And bad news for you, Nate. It was December 11th, not the 10th. You said plus or minus one. I said minus or minus one, but. I bet the ninth over here. I think he I got was hired on the 9th, and then the introductory press conference was on the 11th. So if you average it out. Yep, you're right there, Nate. There <laughs> you look at you. I mean, come on, brother. Man. Memory's not going yet. Maybe with the second kid it'll go, but not yet. 
Okay, a lot will go with the second. <laughs> uh, for sure. All right, let's wrap this up with picks. We we've seen barely anything. We're going off a hope and a prayer. Uh, let's. Hmm, who should I pick first? Let's go. Veto. Score. Uh, I think thirty-five fourteen. I think because of the the way that the triple option is, if they can get a couple, just you know, like uh, Seth mentioned, you you get a wide open. Uh, guy running down the flat getting a really long touchdown. Maybe Felix or Joyner get a really long touchdown. All of a sudden, the Citadel's trying to throw the ball, and that's where you get a triple option team up against the rope. So I think I feel I feel comfortable with that. That seems fun. Thirty five fourteen USF. Big. Fuck it. Fifty six seven USF. I I think I'm I'm going full optimistic, and I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot myself down uh, by that Notre Dame game. Or by you know the the third quarter of this game, but I, I think talent wise, you're looking at two completely different teams. I think the culture's completely turned around. I'm buying into it. KJ's talked to me into the, this point. He's saying they're going to shock the world. Fuck it, I'll believe him. He's he hasn't lied to me yet. Let's <laughs> let's let's start off a undefeated run with a with a nice sh- like sh- locked victory. I don't think Citadel scores until the fourth quarter. Oh. Uh, uh, that's a spicy take. I was gonna say I was gonna say thirty-five fourteen, like Vito. I think that's a good number, but we'll go. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to look like a like I'm copying them. So we'll go. Let's add a field goal on there. Let's go thirty. We'll go thirty-eight fourteen. All right. I feel less ridiculous now. I wasn't sure about that one at first. You I was thinking right when you. I was thinking it right when you said. It. I was like, oh man. Well, yeah, I'm looking at Jordan McLeod when he was fully uh, healthy versus South Carolina State. That's the that's the that that's what he could do. So if this is, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm kind of starting to, to buy into the whole uh, team Jordan with Nate there. I think you've you've kind of convinced me there. And I also, even if there's there's shared snaps, I love that he's the one getting the first snap, being the leader of this community, uh, being a local guy, being the incumbent. I really like that he's going to be the first one. All right, so that just leaves me, huh? Man, you guys are super optimistic. I'm going to look like a butthole. Uh, you know, I, I was – I'm going to go 21-17 uh, USF wins for this reason and this reason alone. I don't think the offense is going to click as well as we expect. I think USF still wins, but I don't think the offense clicks to the tune of uh, 38, 35, and 56 points in game one. Uh, so that's, that's my guess. Um, I think you know, 17 seems low for, for this, you know, this defensive line that uh, there's still a lot of question marks, but I, I trust in Glenn Spencer, so I, I think they hold them. I'm going to post these on Twitter. So we're we're gonna we're gonna own it this year, all right, guys. This is this is what we're gonna do every single year, every single week. We're gonna we're gonna post uh, our predictions. So oh, good. Would it make you feel better if I told you Samford scored sixty-one points on Citadel last year? Chris Oladokun led Samford. Absolutely That's not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How about if I told you Elon scored thirty-five? Ah, see, there you go. Well, I, I think your score is entirely. Very possible. <laughs> and, and this isn't an indication of, you know, what I think of the offense. I just think, man, game one, no spring. It's going to be rough. Uh, and so we'll go from there. But I, I think it could, you know, I think 38 is 
possible 56 is absolutely no shot in hell i think it's the range right there that's like (laughs) bad bad week great week right (laughs) um yeah so i think that's it for week one i think we've wrapped it up here um let's you know get a little couple a couple plugs make sure to follow us on on twitter uh at stampede sbn uh i'm bulls nathan sbn seth is just his name at seth farnador anthony Vito at anthony Vito underscore Steak is uh, Robert Steak Life. Yep. Look at that. Crushed it. <laughs> um, make sure you check us out, dailystampede.com. Uh, we're going to go kind of hard on in the paint uh, on the Instagrams this year. And, you know, unfortunately, Steak uh, missed out <laughs> on credentials this week. Uh, I'm the only uh, member of the USF media that didn't get a credential, apparently. <laughs> no, I'm sure. I'm sure someone else is. <laughs> I'm sure someone else's photographer didn't get one. Uh, but Seth and I will be in, in the press box. You know, if you don't see, we're gonna do, we're gonna try to do something. I, I was really kind of hoping to have Sieg on the field for this, so we'll figure it out. We'll figure Bought it. Bought a new camera for the season too. Can't even and use it yet. Hate that for you, my man. Don't forget, also follow us on Instagram on the daily with the daily stampede. We exactly. started doing that last season, and uh, we hope to really uh, get the content flowing over there. And you and YouTube and the YouTubes. Check out Seth's story that was posted today. We'll have our season preview. Um, probably by the time you listen to this, it'll probably be up. Jamie's uh, working on it right now. And when you hear this, we're a day away from football, guys. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Ugh. I'm excited. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm all the things. But you know what? We've got the right people in charge, and I'm, I think, excited and uh, giddy would be the two words I would use to describe how I feel when you hear this 24 hours from kickoff. Let's go. This has been the Blue Mountain Podcast, signing off until next week, hopefully celebrating a Bulls win. Go Bulls. Let's go get that dub, boys. Go Bulls and go Bolts. Go Bulls. Wheel Silly Snipe, boys. College football. (laughs) College football.